Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. You know, <clears throat> we just celebrated we just celebrated Easter. I'm losing my voice, I'm sorry. <clears throat> wow. <clears throat> Last week we celebrated Easter. And you know, what we got to understand is the beauty of Easter is the fact that God was victorious. We, we don't normally think of it that way. We, 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 you know, the world has had a tendency to crowd us in a lot of our holidays just, and to kind of push uh, secularism into it, and, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with making Easter eggs. There's nothing really wrong with that. But the, the thing is, is that I think sometimes we miss the fact that how important and how amazing that time was both the cross and the empty tomb, and that God won the war. What we needed more than any accomplished else in this world could only be accomplished by God's sovereignly stepping into history and, and, and dying for us. It was only His intervention that made it possible for us to get what we needed more than anything. The writer of Psalms wrote in Psalm 37, 39, he says, The salvation of the righteousness is from God. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. Our, our salvation does not come from you and me. You know, we cannot sit here and say, look what I've done. The enemy was defeated. Death has no victory. It lost its sting. Salvation is now available to those who seek it with all of their hearts. I mean, what did I contribute to my salvation? Oh, well, I was a sinner. <laughs> but, it, but without God, without Christ coming and dying on a cross, there would have been no salvation for me. I'd be the nicest person in the world. I would love, could love everybody, and I still would have been lost. And you see, that's why it's so important that we remember what Easter did. Easter won the war. I've done nothing to do it. I have nothing to be proud of. In Titus 3, 5, it says he saved us. What, 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 he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's how it happened. I, nothing I did did it. It was all God. So what should be my response? What should be my response to Him dying on the cross? What should be our response to Him rising from the grave? I mean, isn't that what we should be thinking about after Easter? Is how are we going to respond to this? Are we just going to let this go by just like every other year and just ignore it? And, oh, okay, well, now we're, now we're ready to move on. And, you know, kids are going to be out of school soon. I'm, I don't want to do that. We, we need, it needs to change us. We need to respond. And how do we do that? How, how, do, we celebrate, how do we respond to what we celebrated just last Sunday? The beauty of it is, is that here we're going to go back to the Old Testament. To, so, to somebody who wrote before Jesus was even born as a man. 
Now he's around because he's eternal. But before he even died on the cross, we have Isaiah telling us how to respond to the cross. And how to respond to our salvation and how to respond to the mercy and the grace of God. So let's go to Isaiah 12. And we'll start. We're going to do this whole chapter. Before you moan, it's only six chapters, six verses long, so it's fine. But I could have talked long. I could talk for days on this chapter. It's amazing. This is what it says in verse 1. He says, you, sh- you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away. That you might comfort me. God is angry with sinners. He was angry with you and me. We're sinners. It makes him angry when we sin. And people say, well, you shouldn't get angry. No, there is righteous anger. We talked about that uh, during Palm Sunday. Of the fa- or might have been a good Friday. We talked about the fact that you know Jesus went into the temple. He turned over the tables. It was righteous anger. God has righteous anger against us as sinners. But the day, the day is coming. It was going to come when God would turn away his anger. Now, you and I, when we get angry, how does our anger get turned away? Usually we expect the person to come and apologize to us who made us angry, if that, if that was the cause of it. I'll be honest with you, most of the time when I get angry, it's because of me, and I'm being selfish. But see, God was angry, so he's going to, Isaiah's saying there's a time coming when God's going to turn away his anger, and he did it there. He did it on the cross. Back in chapter 5, we, we, we got a, a good picture of God's anger. And Isaiah 5.25 says, Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. And, and I, I always think about that. And I think, you know, how do you kindle a fire? Well, you, you light it and then you start adding wood to it. Who's adding wood to God's anger? You and me. Not him. It was kindled against his people, and he stretched out his hand against them, struck them, and the mountains quaked, and their corpses were, so, were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I'm struggling. I'm going through some real tough times, and I've learned to say, not to sit there and say, why, God, why are you doing this to me? I usually have to usually tell myself, okay, it hasn't stopped yet, so you must have done something pretty bad. Or God is trying to teach me something and I'm not learning the lesson. What do I need to learn from what God is doing? See, when we, when we violate God's law, we should expect to feel the wrath of God. Because it's going to be revealed, it's being revealed against all ungodliness. Paul talks about it in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You want to you know what's going on in the world today? The truth is being suppressed. It is. And, it's, and I'm not talking about the truth 
the government suppressing the truth. I'm talking about us. We suppress the truth. Churches suppress the truth. The truth is God God gave us everything we need, and we need to turn in. We're all sinners, and we need to repent. We need to live repentant lives, but a lot of churches don't teach it. I'm not even going to get into what the government lies to us about. That doesn't matter. What matters is you and I suppress the truth. When we don't live, when we don't respond to the cross, to Easter the way we should, we are suppressing the truth. And even though God is angry with sinners, and believe me, he has every right to be, his anger will be turned away. I don't know about you, but I find it difficult to turn my anger away in the midst of the anger. It's hard. But God's able to do it. And he did it. He's able to do it because his anger was appeased by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The only way to God for, for God to have his anger appeased is through the one who stood in our place and he took the punishment that you and I deserved. It's called substitutionary atonement, by the way. It's the theological term for it. You and I deserved to die the death that Jesus died. But he did it for all of us. I mean, our sins are great, aren't they? They're great. There are many. But he's great. But... The only sinners he forgives are those who trust in his promise of salvation. It's, it's, people want to tell us today that, well, you know, God forgives everybody. He died for everybody. Yeah, that's true. He did. I believe in, I believe in the fact that Jesus died for everyone's sin. Everyone's. Whether they believed in him or not, or whether they're going to believe in him or not. That's how great it was. But that doesn't mean he forgives everybody because we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. And when we trust in Christ for our salvation, knowing that we can't do it, nothing we can do will save us, and, and turning our lives to him, which is a process, believe me, a difficult process as it is, but it is a process that occurs over time that's called sanctification. When we do that, the beauty of it, and this is what Isaiah says, God brings us comfort. I love being comforted. You know, when I'm sad and Beth comes in, what's wrong? Oh, I'm just not feeling good, and she'll put her arm around me. I feel better. Usually it's my cats will come up to me when they know something's wrong, and they'll rub on, and it's like, oh. I feel much better petting the cat. My blood pressure drops. and It doesn't work when I pet my kid's head. I just can't get the same feeling. But my kids come and they hug me. It makes me feel better. They comfort me. God wraps you in his arms and he comforts you. And when we experience the forgiveness of God, and when we, we experience the fact that Jesus died for us, the only person that we owe gratitude to is God himself. It's God himself. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9.15, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift 
Love that word. There are no words to fully describe what God has done for you. None. The gift of salvation is so great, there really, we can, any word we say does not do it justice. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Just because we can't get the exact words, we need to keep trying to find the words that we need to express God, the fact that God has saved us. Paul attempted to do that in Romans 11. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So how do we, how do we express the inexpressible? When we've been redeemed, when, when God has forgiven us from our, for our sins by Jesus' day on the cross and raising him the third day, he says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust, I will not be afraid. For the Lamb of God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. In those, that one verse, we, we get a good idea of what we're supposed to do. First of all, God is our salvation. He is the one who saved us. I will trust. Trust is this Old Testament way of expressing faith. If I'm going to trust in something, I'm going to have faith in something. It carries this idea of leaning on it, of, of using it, of having confidence that something is going to stand up. You know, I, I love to, we love to walk as a family, and I'll pick up a stick, and I'm like, yeah, I can walk on this, but if I, I know if I lean on it, it ain't going to hold me. It may hold me better now since I've lost more weight, but most sticks won't hold me. But I have a walking stick, a tall one that's mine, and I can lean on it. I know, I have faith that that stick is going to keep me up. See, that's the idea of this whole idea of trust. Do you trust God? Do you really, really trust Him? But see, it's more than just me saying, yeah, I trust Him. Because anybody could say that and it not be true. But how you know it's true is when it is the foundation of your life. When you say, I trust him, and it shows in everything you do. That's why Isaiah says, I will trust and I will not be afraid. Why? Because the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. See, we are to trust God's character. We're, going to, we're supposed to trust who God is, who he says he is, and who he, how he has revealed himself through his word. What Isaiah sees is this, this idea of multiple people trusting and having faith in God, which is a, a very strong contrast. It's, it's, a, it's a contrast to what he was seeing in amongst the people of Israel at, his, at the time. And sometimes I feel it's, I'm not so sure how many of us in, in the world today who claim to be Christian truly trust God. See, we, we, we need to trust God with our past because through Jesus Christ, he's removed that barrier we talked about that's between, the sin places between us and him. So that's in the past. He has removed the barrier. He's forgiven us of our sins. 
We can be, we know that our sins are taken away. He's taken them as far as away as the east is from the west. He's told us, I'll remember your sins no more. When you've repented, you're done. I remember being in New York at uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle and, and the pastor is speaking and he has an altar call and people come up and he's talking to them, each of them and they've not been up there before except for one guy who's been up there before. And this was only for people who've never accepted. And he goes to him and says, you. <laughs> he called this guy out on stage. He says, I know you. You've been up here already. No mas. Don't do this anymore. Stop. You're just you're living in that feeling, that moment. It's only mental ascent. It's not changing your life. It needs to change our lives. Our faith in Christ should change us. We should live differently. By the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Boy, do I want to read that verse in a bunch of churches today. You're tampering with God's word. You're not preaching the word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. You see, you and, you and I, we're, we're going to face difficulties while we're here on this planet. But see, we can face it with confidence Encourage when we learn to do it with God's strength. Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. I don't know about you, but carrying a cross is a pretty big burden. And he says, daily, which means we're going to have struggles in this world. There's, uh, if you're interested, get a hold of me. I've got something for you. This, this goes all the way back to Martin Luther. I talked to the guys about it yesterday. Martin Luther wrote about the fact that we have, there's two different theologies. Theology of the cross is that you're going to suffer. Take up your cross daily and follow him. Theology of power is you're going to have a good life, which is what you hear today. So you think all these, like, you know, Joel Olstein and all these people who are preaching the feel-good gospel is new. It's not new. Martin Luther had the same problem with people. Life is difficult, but we can do it. We can live it confidently, knowing that God has forgiven us of our sins Remove that barrier, and now we can do it in his strength and not of our own. So we, we must also trust God for our future. There's more that lies ahead of us than just this place. This is not the end all. When we die, we're not just going to be, you know, this, this is all, oh, this was the best, and now I've, I'm done with it. And we can't take anything with us, by the way. But the place we are going, the next place is even better. We've been delivered from death, so we no longer have to fear dying. We no longer have to be concerned about eternal punishment. We don't have to fear dying. We don't have to mourn the way others mourn, as Paul says. We don't mourn that way. We don't mourn because we know the truth. The truth is those that have believed who have gone before us, they're better off than we are. It's a great time for them. They're with Christ. Now, I'm not saying we don't mourn, but it's just not the same. 
And it's all because of all these things that we are able to respond with thanks. In verse 3, it says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. What a great line. I love the imagery that comes up. I, um, I had a, a great aunt back in West Virginia where my grandparents live. When we go back and visit, my great aunt just lived a little bit up the hill from my grandfather and grandmother. And she, you know, um, outhouse, no bathroom inside, Wash machine, the ringer washing machine was under in the down in the basement. She had a well outside, the stereotypical well with the the stone and then the little hood over the top of it, and it was spring water. And in the middle of summer, when it was 90 degrees out, you'd run the bucket down, pull it up, and that water was fresh and cool. It was amazing. In Psalm 63, David said, My soul thirsts for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. See, what we do in our humanness, we, we look at the world and we see it as a way to satisfy ourselves. We do. I do. I don't want to even want to think about what I spend with Amazon. It's stuff I need most of the time. But... You know, we, we think the world is going to make us happy, that the world is going to give us what we need. But then we find out that it's short term. It doesn't last. The world will tell us to drink mightily from the well of the world because the things of God are dry, right? Oh, that, oh this old book, dusty, old stories written by a bunch of old men who who were a bunch of, you know, whatever they want to say. But the truth is, that's a lie. The world will not satisfy you. I I think of the world that we live in as a desert. It's a burning wilderness that'll suck the life out of you. I don't know about you, but in the springtime, I love to work outside because I can work longer. When it's hot... Yesterday, I struggled. It was 82 degrees, I know. That's nothing compared to what it'll be in August. But I'm not used to it. And it sucks the life out of you. It sucks the energy out of you. I think that's the world. The world will suck you dry. To the point where we've got to understand that the only source of our satisfaction is God. And, And through Jesus Christ, what He does, He opens up the wells of fulfillment, the wells of salvation. Look at what he told the Samaritan woman when he was when he was in Samaria and his disciples were going into the city and he's sitting in there at, at noon time, which never happens. Women don't go to the well at noon. It's too hot, especially there. So she was not exactly popular in her society. And she comes out and sits at the well and he speaks to her, which number that's the second thing never would have happened because he was Jewish and Jewish men did not sit there. He said women. But in the conversation that he has with her, he says, everyone who drinks, this is in John 4, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, the world, what the world does, leaves us dry and dusty. It's like working all day outside with no water. That's the way the world will do it. And we, but it sure looks like it's doing the right thing. 
sure seems like it's fulfilling our thirst, but it doesn't. But what God does, he gives us wells of springs of wells overflowing. See, when you think about your salvation, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about a, a pool, a flowing pool. Water's coming in and water's going out. So it's, it's living water. That's what living water is, water that has a source and keeps moving. It doesn't stop. And I want you to think of people who are in that pool and they are just pouring buckets of water over themselves and they're drinking the water and they're throwing water at each other. Like kids in a pool, right? That is our salvation. That is how, and how much joy it should bring us to know that we have our salvation. See, because drawing water from the well of salvation is what life with God is supposed to be like. We need to be full of joy. But see, the problem is, is that many times we have to willingly go into the well. My aunt, the water was not going to magically come up to the top of the well. I mean, I had to work for it. I had to get the bucket in and bring it out and drink it. I had to intentionally do it. We need to intentionally seek out God. We need to intentionally accept him and trust him. Because the beauty is, the deeper that we drink from the well, the deeper we dig into God's word, the more we experience who he is, the greater we can praise him. The greater the overflowing. In John 7, Jesus, this was on the last day of the feast, it says, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. flow rivers of living water. We all know people who the rivers flowing out of their life dried up a long time ago. You can barely see the riverbed anymore. That's not how we're supposed to be. Rivers of life need to flow from us. We need to drink deeply from the well of salvation and find abundant life. Verse 4 of Isaiah 12. And again, he's, he's looking forward to the day when, when God will redeem his people. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. You know, we are always to be thankful people. Paul says in Ephesians 5, he says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything means everything. Whether we think it's good or bad, we need to give thanks to God. For it. Yesterday, when I, 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 I finished drywalling, I spent three days drywalling. My back is killing me. I carried, I carried sheets of drywall by myself dummy by the end of the day i felt terrible did i did i feel like thanking god oh thank you lord for the pain in my back and the fact that i can't even think straight because i'm so tired that's not our first thought but I, I actually sat there and said lord i thank you that i was even able to do this that you you gave me a father who taught me how to do these things find something to be thankful for 
Thankful, thank you, Lord, that I can actually feel pain and that I can walk and that I'm upright and that you gave me the ability to do what you've given me to do. Even in the times when there's, I can't think of anything like that, when I'm struggling with something, and thank you, Lord, for teaching me. Help me to learn. Help me to get this right because I need to learn this. You're teaching me something. Be thankful in all things. This is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus, is that we would be thankful people. No, we, we try to install in Caleb and Abigail, we try to say, you know, say thank you. When somebody gives them something, say thank you. The goal is hopefully they do it on their own, and they're, they're learning. They're now doing pretty well of doing it on their own. Or when I do something for them, uh, they, they say thank you. And I always, when they do something for me, and it's usually, hey, could you pick that up for me? Because I don't feel like bending down to the ground because somebody keeps lowering the ground. I don't know who it is, but it seems to get further and further away from me. And they'll pick it up for me, and I always say, thanks, guys. Thank you for doing that for me. Because they don't have to. Well, they do, because they're my kids. But be thankful in all things. Saying thank you is something we, we, we need to do. But we also need to live it out. Just as I expect Caleb and Abigail to be thankful, God expects his children to be thankful. And see, and it's from this thankfulness for our salvation that out of that overflows this idea and this desire to share what God has done with those around us. See, Isaiah sees a future where the message of God is going to spread over the whole world. This is, he's actually being prophetic. He's, he's seeing, he's, he's talking to them about what's going to happen to them, but he's also, it's got a double meaning. It's got a future fulfillment. And we're, we've experienced a partial fulfillment. We now, we now have the cross, which is where God is no longer angry with us when we accept him as our Savior, when we, we trust in him and believe that he died for us. That's partial. But we're still living in this time where it hasn't come to full fulfillment. It's, it's here, but not yet. But we need to share this with people. We need, as Isaiah sees this going all over the world, he sees people awaken to the infinite greatness and the majesty of God that's been shown. It shows what he has done, is doing, and will do for his people. And see, in our thankfulness, we need to embrace God's mission. Now, a close relative of joy and, and thankfulness Actually, a close relative of thankfulness is joy, praising God. If, if, we, if we are just begrudgingly praising God, if we're just going through the motions, and we're, oh, do I really got to sing this song? Do I really got to thank God for this? You know, That's not praising Him at all. The plan from the very beginning was that for us to experience the joy of being with, with God. In the garden, He was with them. That's what he wanted. That's his ultimate plan is for us to be with him for eternity. Well, we got this little pit stop called sin that we're having to deal with. But his, his goal, his ultimate plan has not changed. The big picture is we're going through all of this so that we could be with God again. That's what's happening. That's the big picture. That's the big game. And so we got all these little things we have to deal with in our lives. Sin spoiled it for us. But then salvation restores it for us. 
And joy should be part of our lives. Nobody likes an unjoyful Christian. Especially if they're proclaiming to be a Christian and they can't find any joy in anything. Now, I understand we all have our bad days. But our lives should be marked with joy. We can have bad days. We can have sad days. We can have angry days. We can have those. But our lives have to reflect joy. Well, Pastor, I just I can't find any joy in anything. Well, then you've got an issue that you need to take to God because there's something wrong. Because I don't know about you, but the fact that Jesus died for me, all these other little problems in life, that's nothing compared to the fact that I have been redeemed by Christ and saved eternally. All this garbage in this world, that's nothing. Nothing. As long as I have Christ. We must be careful not to place our joy in the things of this world. Oh, we can enjoy the good things in life. There's there's nothing that says that we can't enjoy what the world has when it's good. But that can't be the source of our joy. In faith, we can overcome the world and we can do so by the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Troubles happen. But the reality is, is even in those troubles, it can enhance and can bring us joy instead of hindering our faith. True joy, see, true joy has a supernatural origin. It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from the world. The trials of this world cannot take our joy away unless we allow it to. I'm not saying we don't grieve. I'm not saying we don't have troubles. I'm not saying that we don't have times of, of, of crying and, and, and being upset. But we just don't do it like the world does. We still have the joy. We, we allow it to stay. Don't allow the world to steal your joy. I always say, don't allow the monkeys to get you down. The monkeys is the, the world. Don't let them get you down. Keep your joy. We have to grab onto the truths of God because as children of God, no one can take him away from us. And that's the way we need to be. What, a, what we want to occur when it doesn't happen, we've got to understand that God is still God and he still loves us. We have to realize that the greatest joy can be found in being part of God's mission on this earth. Because his mission is the only one that's going to succeed. Finally, verses 5 and 6. It says, Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. This is in Isaiah 12. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in, the midst, great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. The, the, the cause of all of our praise and worship, he will be in our midst. Now, we know we have the Holy Spirit now, but then we will actually See him face to face. Paul defined in essence what it meant to be a Christian in Romans 14. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, Isaiah is seeing a time when, when everything is going to be restored and we can celebrate and be with Jesus and they'll, they'll have the Holy One of Israel, which is the Messiah. These six verses look to the future. 
We see it partially now revealed in the cross, but we still have that other part to come. We get to experience God's compassion instead of his anger because of the cross. And when that time comes, when we are with Christ, our full attention will be on God and God alone. So we need, we need to trust in God. We need to be full of thanksgiving. We need to be thankful in all things. We need to have joy. And evangelism is a joyful shouting of the exalted glory of God. So we need to share His, we need to be part of His mission. We need to share the, the good news with those around us. It's not that difficult to tell them, you know, Jesus, you want to know why I'm so happy all the time and why I'm thankful no matter what happens? because Jesus has saved me and I, have, I will spend eternity with him and he wants you to believe in him too. Simple as that. Worship is this joyful shouting about the exalted God and telling his wonderful deeds. The enemy was defeated at the cross and our hope of a life eternally spent with God was confirmed at the resurrection. So our lives should be filled with joy, even in the face of adversity. We have to place our things, our faith in God and not in the things of the world. We need to embrace joy, the joy of our salvation. And our joy should lead to thankfulness and to worship and to evangelism. See, God was not content to sit on the sidelines and wait for man to finally come around. He stepped into history. From the very beginning, God wanted to dwell with his people. And now he dwells with us in Jesus Christ. He comes to us in the Holy Spirit. In the coming kingdom, his presence will actually be among us. Zechariah writes in Zechariah 2, he says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Have joy. Have thankfulness. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video, as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.